you are listening to the House of Rondog. You are listening to the podcast that caused Dominic Cummings to leave Downing Street. But most importantly, you are listening to the podcast that killed Peter Sutcliffe. And for that, you are truly welcome. Play that fucking music. Welcome to the House of Rondog, baby. So, what a week. What a week. I am celebrating with some keto-friendly alcoholic beverages. Let's get our fucking party on. First and foremost, thank you to everybody who has streamed and subscribed or followed or whatever the fuck it is on whichever platform you're using. The reaction has been nothing short of amazing and I just cannot thank you enough for tuning in. I mean you. You listening right now. You are the shit and I love you. One thing I do want to bring up and have a couple of times in the last week as well, nobody's ever told me that I have a sexy voice. But at the same time, nobody has ever told me how deep my voice is. So listening back to some trial recordings when I first bought this microphone was just a fucking revelation. Not one of you ever thought to tell me it was this deep, really. It's literally never even been mentioned in my life. So as much as I love you all to pieces for being here, fuck you for betraying me on the voice front. How about that? But yeah, a, a sexy voice? Never never in my life. There have been a few occasions this week in which I've referred to myself as the moistener. Uh, but I'm not letting it go to my head too much. However, if you do own a sex line and are on the lookout for some 6 out of 10 males with voices that make people put wet floor signs down, then you know where I'm at. So yeah, step into my masturbatory and let's get this show on the road. That's some good shit. How's your week been? Uh, about the same as every other lockdown week, I imagine. I went to uh, I went to a supermarket this week to pick up a bottle of whiskey, and let me tell you, there was fuck all gin left on the shelves. And quite frankly, I'm glad. I'm glad that we're doing lockdown properly this time. I remember in March when shit was getting crazy and people were hauling massive bags of pasta and flour and toilet rolls into their cars. And where was I? Spirits Isle, Ghost Town. I have, a, I have a friend who was one of the infamous hoarders, you know, the disgusting and vile hoarders, stealing fresh fruit and soap from the hands of pensioners, spitting in their faces as you throw them to the floor. I mean, his primary argument for it was that we didn't know what could happen tomorrow. The virus was really new at the time. Everything was getting really scary. He basically wanted to be prepared for the entire decimation of society, which in principle, isn't a bad stance to have. If you have a family, you're going to put them before everything, obviously. But if society is going to crumble and humanity be left on the brink, I'm sure as shit going to need to be drunk for it. I mean, if I'm going to be stood on a rooftop with a bow and arrow hunting pedestrians for meat, a good amount of booze is going to make that a lot easier. It might throw off my aim, but the sentiment remains the same. So to repeat, spirits aisle. And I'm glad that we're doing lockdown right this time round. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today we are talking about me. Because it's my podcast. If you don't like it, find another podcast. See if they don't speak about themselves, because they absolutely will do. But before we get into the things that I learned with a travelling job, just a very quick one, just for lockdown, just because of where we are. Check in on your friends. Check in on your fucking friends. See how they are. If you haven't seen a friend in a while, see how they are. See how they're doing. Even if they didn't show any signs of being sad or anything like that, just drop them a message. Drop them a message. It costs nothing. 
It's like a minute of your time. And when they get back to you and go, hey, I'm good. I'm drunk as shit. I bought all the gin. Then we're good. Just be there for each other. You know, we're in a we're in a very difficult time. This this lockdown kind of feels a little bit easier than the last lockdown, but that's just because we're getting a bit used to it. But at the same time, it can really take its toll on you. Check in with your friends. Check in with your family. If things aren't going too great for you at the moment, check in with someone you love. They'll be there for you. They'll speak to you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you right now. Let's get talking. Here are the things I learned with a traveling job. Hi, yay, yay. Right, so around the second half last year, I got this weird and cool job with the brewery that I work for. Basically, the shtick was traveling around the country, visiting pubs, and teaching them how a new app worked. You know the apps where you can order food and drinks to your table in a pub or restaurant? It was that, but pre-COVID. There were only about, I don't know, 70, 80 sites that were actually going to get it at the time. I traveled as high up as Glasgow and as far down as Margate, which is about 20 miles from Dover which is about 50 miles from France. So I spent a lot of time on the road, normally about three or so hours a day, depending on where I was that week. Some weeks were great, and my sights would be in a 50-mile radius of each other. Other weeks, you'd be in London one day and be near Liverpool the next day. So it was always a bit wild. So we'd do two visits to every pub. We'd do one preliminary visit to answer the team's queries and make sure that they were happy with everything. And we'd do another visit on the day that the app would actually launch in their pub. So it was staggered launches across pubs. So with the amount of team we had, there were only eight or nine of us, meaning every day there'd be eight or nine pubs that would go live with the app, basically. It would be launched on the same day. This was just so every pub, every manager, every team member could get the help that they needed. It was a really smart way of doing it, if we're going to be honest. It was pretty good. The job itself for me was normally 10 a.m. until, uh, I don't know, 5 or 6 p.m., depending on the level of trade. So if it was a much busier place, you're going to hang around longer. You want to see how the place ticks. If it's a much quieter place, then it ain't ticking at all. But there's not a great deal you can do about that. So you're hundreds of miles from home. You're on your own. You're staying in different Premier Inns every single night. What do you do? You sit in a local bar or you sit in a hotel bar, and you get drunk. And you learn things. You learn things while getting drunk. I learned more about this country and the people in it in those six months than at any other time in my life. You want to hear some of the shit I learned? Then let's do it. Number one. You know those menopausal women who still go crazy for pink gin and lemonade and Prosecco and... You know, that kind of thing. Those women that buy cushions with slogans written on them. That, you know, they'll say, the cushions will say things like, let the fun be gin. They exist everywhere on this island. Every bar, every city centre, they are present. And let me tell you, they are all as terrifying as each other. I remember I, remember I was in a bar in Milton Keynes and there was a big group of women out celebrating a birthday or a Hindu, something similar like that. And they asked the bartender to hold one of their phones and video them all shouting in unison, the Prosecco fairy makes me loud and larry. So this was my first week on the job and I began to think that I'd made a real mistake. Number two, a traveling job really makes you question whether or not you want children. So I'm 25, I'm prime breeding age. But with the amount of whiskey I drink and the cigars that I smoke, my nut butter is only going to be so good for so long, you know? 
When you sit alone in a bar or a restaurant, you spend a lot of your time watching other people. People watching is one of my favorite hobbies anyway, but this just took it to another fucking level. I could people watch at work. I could people watch on my downtime. It was great. And what I took from this was that the joy of parenthood, as they call it, tends to be bullshit. The amount of couples I've seen in restaurants completely out of energy and even more out of love with, you know, their little semen demons screaming in a high chair beside them is countless. Neither of them want to be there. They wish that their crotches hadn't bore fruit. It's just a horrible experience for all involved. I am personally undecided on kids, but this job had me leaning towards the snip like you wouldn't believe. Let me take a little sip of my keto-friendly alcoholic beverage here. That is amazing. That is a Copperberg hard seltzer. Mixed berry flavor is 93 calories a can. It is no sugar, no carbs. This is not a sponsorship, but if Copperberg want to send me some free shit, I'm all about it, son. Bring it on. Anyway, number three. The United Kingdom driving test isn't hard enough. Fun fact for you, 90% of drivers on British roads got their license on eBay. That is a fact. Don't Google it. I grew sick and fucking tired of taking my life into my hands every time I approached a ring road. The lane you need to be in is printed on a fucking enormous sign. Even if you didn't see the sign, if you have a sat-nav, it will speak and tell you which lane you need to be in. But let's forget all that. Let's say you didn't see the gigantic sign and you were too focused singing along to fucking Cardi B to listen to your sat-nav. The roots of each lane are printed on the fucking floor. If I died in a road accident and days later after a full investigation, police ruled that I was, I don't fucking know, 10 times over the limit while sending a tweet, while bunning a zoo, while fucking wanking myself off all at the same time, even after all of that, the accident still wouldn't have been my fault because I knew what lane I needed to be in. Fuck! Number four. If we're in the year 2020, London is living in 3020. I stayed in a hotel in a fairly affluent part of London for about a week or so. I remember I pulled up, it was about 4am on Sunday night, Monday morning. I'd driven straight from hosting a quiz in Lincoln. I was tired and um, the, the car they gave me for this job, I got a company car, it was just a war machine. Like I would vape the entire journey down. I wasn't meant to, but you know, who was ever going to know? You know, you're going to give the car back and it smells like blueberries. Who gives a fuck? But even after four or five hours of intermittent vaping through the drive, you'd pull up at your destination, step out the car, stretch out, and the first thing you'd think is, eh, I'll, I'll just take a minute. I'll, I'll have a quick vape before I go in. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to rush things. I remember the entire perimeter of this car park was just Tesla chargers, just everywhere, like every other spot on the outer part of the car park. It, it was amazing to see. You know, I'm I'm a Lincoln boy. We still throw fucking coal in our cars, so this was crazy. So. I left the hotel the next morning to drive to the site that I was at that day and I was on this really long straight road between an industrial site and like a residential zone like a village and there it was an Amazon delivery robot just rolling down the path going about its business nobody kicking it or spitting at it or trying to steal it just a cute little robot with a job just traveling to deliver someone's parcel I remember there were two girls walking to school who sort of moved out of its way, just completely unfazed. They were totally cool with this, must see it all the time. 
Whereas I was going at 60 miles per hour, completely losing my shit because I've just seen the fucking future rolling down the path. As soon as I got to the pub that day, I spent 15 minutes parked up before I went inside telling people what I'd just seen. I texted my best friends. I told the guys I worked with. I called my dad. I had never seen anything like that in my life. London, 3020. But the single craziest thing I saw during my time in London was the vending machine at my hotel. So at first glance, it was nothing to shout about. Pretty much all vending machines take contactless now. It's cool. Standard fare of hotel vending machine goodies, little two packs of Oreos, weird brand water you've never heard of, normally called like fucking Sterling or Strentham or something. Loads of Coca-Cola. You get the picture. So I walked up to it one morning before setting off to the job. There was a little QR code beside the list of payment options. Now, around 2017, I threw about £10 into Bitcoin. I, I missed the big boom of it, but I thought, fuck it, what do I have to lose? The £10 had become about uh, £30 at this point, about 30 quid. I wasn't a millionaire, but I'd been successful enough to put the words crypto entrepreneur in my Instagram bio, and I used the word hustle a lot. I was part of that crowd. The QR code was to use your Bitcoin wallet to pay for your vended goods. I paid for an apple juice that morning with Bitcoin. Bitcoin. For a fucking apple juice. London, 2030. I mean 3020. 3020. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, if there's ever been a better time. That's how we do it in the house of Rondog, baby. That is sublime. Thing number five. You can spot seasoned veterans of traveling jobs from a mile away. These guys would look at me through Hugo Boss aviators and see little more than a giddy 13-year-old with his first erection. I remember being at a hotel breakfast bar about a month into the job. I had a croissant, and I quickly discovered that I can't cut a croissant open worth shit. Do you know why? Because I had a standard table knife. Because I wasn't prepared. Because the good knives, reserved for the cutting of croissants, were 200 miles away in my kitchen drawer. There was a guy, in fact, not a guy, there was a man, a couple of tables over from me, early 40s, Armani suit, brill cream in his hair, you know, the full works. This man had a traveling job. This man could have cut a croissant open just by looking at it with that razor sharp look in his eye. I want you to imagine it. The waitress approached him. Have you visited us before? She asks. You think this is his first rodeo? his first foray into the world of the hotel breakfast bar. This man invented the hotel breakfast bar, you fucking troglodyte. Bring him his coffee, bring him a pack of Marlboro Reds, and let him do the rest. It was upon seeing this man that I realised I had a lot more to learn. The hotel breakfast bar is a surreal place. Actually, before we go any further, hotels, right? Some people feel guilty about taking the little bathroom amenities like the tiny bottles of soap. Just take them. They're not going to rip your bag apart and charge you with theft as you leave. All that shit, just take. The soaps, the shampoos, the free batteries and the television remote, just take them. You'll be fine. And by the time, in your head, the housekeeping team realise you've stolen their precious 20 millilitres of soap, you'll be flying down the A1. Don't worry about it. Anyway, yeah. Um, hotel breakfast bars. Surreal. 
So I've had strange looks from staff on more than one occasion. Sometimes the staff that work the night before will be working the morning as well. So they'd watch me drink like 10 pints of Stella and then see me again eating plates of sausages and pancakes seven hours later. They'd look at me like I was the fucking undertaker back from the dead. But the worst thing about a hotel breakfast bar is when the hotel is underbooked. You might be thinking, that's great, free reign at the buffet. But no. If a hotel is too underbooked, there is no buffet. There's all the croissants and juice and muffins and cereal, but there's no hot shit. You need hot shit. So you'll take your seat, you'll still be drunk from last night, and somebody with way too much enthusiasm for that time of day will come over to you and they'll say, oh, there's there's no hot buffet today, but just tell me what you want and how many you want of them. Please don't make me do that. Please don't make me admit to this sweet old lady that I want eight sausages, six rashers of bacon, four eggs, four hash browns, and a sea of beans. I have a social anxiety level of fucking zero, but even I couldn't bring myself to ask for what I really wanted. I'd order a really modest, light breakfast, and then I'd just eat like 10 muffins when nobody was looking. It's the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it. And I had the nerve to complain that I was fat. Imagine that. So, to conclude, would I do the job again? Absolutely, I would. Would I erase all of these things from my memory and do the job with an open mind? Absolutely fucking not. Thank you for listening to this episode of House of Rondog. If you enjoyed what you heard, please remember to hit that subscribe button, whether you're on Google or Spotify or Apple. It doesn't matter. Every subscription supports me. Thank you ever so much, and I'll see you next time.